Hi, I'm Michael Dunn, and you're listening to Oregon Rainmakers. My guest today is City of Springfield Police Chief Andrew Shearer. Shearer was appointed to the position in March of this year and brings more than 29 years of law enforcement experience to Springfield PD. We're going to talk about his career, his goals in leading the department, and the way policing is changing with the times. Welcome. Thanks. Yeah. Glad to be here. It's Great. really nice to be uh, face-to-face in the studio with somebody, not just on a Zoom call. <laughs> I know, exactly. I imagine. Yeah, and we'll get into that about how you had to, you know, and I, I, managing, a, I know you were interim at the time, but managing during COVID, that'll be uh, exciting to talk about. But let's start with you and, and kind of, um, you know, how did you get into policing? You know, kind of talk to, talk to us about the early stages of your career and how it all started. That's a great question. I think growing up... Um I think I had in my mind I was going to be a firefighter, to be honest with you. Really? Some of the um, the friendly rivalry between fire and police, I like to remind my fire friends all the time that, hey, I was going to be a firefighter when I was growing up. Um, <laughs> I think I became a police officer, and honestly, and we had talked a little bit earlier about you know the influences people have, and people are interested in police. They were... 30 years ago when I was young. They still are today. Some sure. of the things that got me interested in police work, frankly, I think was a lot of the, I mean, it was the media at the time. It was the TV shows. It was the movies. It was all that stereotypical stuff that kind of attracted me to it, to be honest with you. I, mean, I didn't, I wasn't the person that joined the force because I thought I was going to change the world and make everything better. I mean, to me, sure. it was, it was frankly, a cha- it looked very challenging. And it looked exciting. That's something I want to be a part of. Yeah. You know, it's funny, as you were talking about sort of, you know, media images that create sort of this, this, this culture around, around police. And, and so you talk about how that sort of attracted you when, you when you were younger. But you're 30 years in now. When you look at, and I imagine maybe you do watch certain cop shows or law enforcement, do you find it, especially now that you're in a position of leadership, do you find that shows like that are helpful or hurtful, I guess, in just sort of the general image of policing? I think it goes both ways. I mean, they portray stereotypes. Sure. Some of the stereotypes, the good ones, can be attractive to people sure. to get them into the business. Sure. The negative stereotypes create a perception in people's minds of how bad police are. Sure. The reality is, um, I think I think for the most part, they're more helpful than hurtful okay. because they keep people interested in the profession. Yeah. Once you get into the profession, you see this whole other side of it you might not have been aware of, and you start to realize the the positive influence that you can have both in an organization and on the people that you serve. Yeah. So 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 going back to the beginning, what was your first job in law enforcement? Talk about sort of what you, what you did, where you were, all that stuff. Uh, my first job in law enforcement was um, at the Portland Police Bureau. It's a city of over 600,000 people. At the yeah. time, there was over 1,000 sworn members there. Um, I was a patrol officer, and okay. back then what we called North Precinct in inner north and northeast Portland. Um, it was an exposure to something I had never experienced before. Um, it was very fast paced. There was a lot of there was a lot of um, sometimes violent crime that was occurring on a nightly basis, and so sure. to be thrust as a 22 year old with not a lot of life experience into a situation like that was pretty interesting. Yeah. What were some things maybe in your background growing up that, that that you brought to that that first job that were that were helpful, and then contrast that with you know were there were there elements of the job where you're like wow I had no idea this was going to be that difficult or really test me. Yeah, that's a great that's a that's a great question. Um, I think the things that I found most difficult as a new cop was just how to deal with the chaos. Okay. You know, you step into a situation that is chaotic on a level that 
most of us have never experienced in our life, especially at that young age. Sure. And how do you navigate through that chaos? How do you give people space to hear what they have to say and then try to piece together what actually happened and then make a make an informed decision about action you're going to take? Because you have a tremendous amount of influence. I mean, you're wearing the badge and what sure. you do matters. Sure, sure. Um, you started it in Portland. That's a big city. And I imagine, and I've talked to other, other law enforcement officers uh, about this. Um, in your experience, because I imagine when you're in a big city police department, there's probably a, a good amount of segmentation, i.e. You're, you're in a specific you know, area or, or, or a specific job, and you're, you kind of have to do that job. And the contrast would be maybe if you start in a very small department, you know, where there's only maybe a few sworn officers, you got to do a lot. So what was kind of your experience in terms of working with a with a very established force that maybe you didn't get to do all the things that you might have done if you started in, you know, Albany or something like that? Yeah, I think it's they're they're definitely very different, but they are both equally positive if that makes sense sure in a big agency like that you can specialize okay there are certain things that you can do and you can become expert in because that is the thing that you do okay i think in a lot of smaller agencies you have to do everything whether it's investigating a violent crime taking fingerprints processing evidence interviewing children i mean you have sure. to do a lot of different things that i think in some bigger agencies start to become specialties and that's that's one of the big differences sure was there a moment, and I'm going to ask this sort of both ways. I love to do the, 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 the both ways questions, but was there a moment early on in your career, maybe it was a case or an incident, where the outcome was such that you said, wow, I know this is right for me. I know I've chosen the right profession because of this outcome. And then, of course, the, the follow-up question was going to be, was there a moment where you were like, wow, this might be overwhelming to me? And you don't have to get into super specifics, but just kind of you know, t- take us through those, those initial experiences that maybe helped form what you would become. Wow. Um, there's been so many. I think... Um as far as the feeling overwhelmed, I mean, there's some there's situations I've been in that I think were extremely overwhelming. But frankly, those are the type of situations that I've always gravitated towards. Okay. I mean, the things that are most challenging, the things that you're scratching your head, like, how the heck are we going to solve this problem? Or yeah. people call you, we don't know what to do. Okay. Please solve this problem for us. That's sure. what I've always been attracted to. And sure. I think where I've kind of excelled and throughout my career, I've kind of stepped into roles that demanded that on a higher and higher level. I think... Um, the things in my career that really solidified I was in the right place is the, uh, it sounds funny, but it's almost more the simple things. When you sure. can actually see the impact that you have, you're a new patrol officer, you're on a call, something bad has happened, you can find the person that perpetrated this violent crime, you can provide some level of relief to the victim, whether it's an abused spouse or a child or whoever it is, sure. and and leave that situation feeling like you've made a positive impact on these people's lives that were victimized, that's extremely rewarding. And I don't think there's anything that really compares to that. Sure, sure. And, and I imagine that, that the, the word you just used, rewarding, chances are as a cop, you don't get a lot of attaboys from the general public just because of, you know, it, it can be somewhat of an antagonistic relationship. But I imagine, you know, it's also, and again, never been in law enforcement, but certainly, you know, kind of paying attention to the profession. It's a very close knit group. So what were some of those um, 
I guess those moments growing up into the profession where you really felt like, and maybe Portland was a good example or not a good, good example of, I really feel part of a team. And did you feel that early on? Yeah. And I think that's, that's something that was extremely attractive to me. It's, it's, I want to say it's, you know, equivalent to being part of a group organization, sports team, whatever it is that most people get to experience throughout their life. But the stakes, you know, when you're part of this profession are much higher. Sure. And everything that you do, everything has an impact, not just on your immediate team, but on the profession. I mean, something that I do here today, something I say on this microphone today, <laughs> you know, could ripple across the country and sure. impact people's perceptions about law enforcement all sure. over the place. And so being part of something that... um I guess it's an, it's it's an important profession. It's a noble profession, and being a part of that is something that I'm extremely proud of. And taking off on that, I, I imagine that's and you said it very well. And I'm thinking, you know, it's a unique position in that you're right. When you take the uniform off, it doesn't go away. You're still a cop 24 hours a day. And and so, how was that sort of coming up in this profession of of, of feeling like? Yeah, I'm a cop. I have to do a job, but I'm also an ambassador for the profession. Yeah, that's 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 exactly what we have to be. And I think it's evolved over time. And I, I don't know that it's – I can say it's going in a, the right direction or the wrong direction. But I think today people are rebalancing the priorities in their life. And okay. so when it comes to – and we might get into this a little later without who we're recruiting. Yeah. I, I think where they're, in the past people have said, I'm a cop. I mean, that's who I am. Yeah. That's not who I am. I am okay. a police officer. That is my job. I'm sure. extremely committed to it. Sure. But it doesn't define me as a person. Okay. And I think as the workforce evolves now, we're, we're seeing more that people want a job that they can have a work-life balance. Yeah. They can step away and they don't have to live it 24-7. <laughs> Which is funny, as we were talking about, about sort of media perceptions. I think that's one of the, 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 the foundational media perceptions of a cop is that you're a cop all the time and there's no space for you know that kind of work-life balance and, and being able like many of us who have to sort of compartmentalize the job and say okay whatever if you're a cop or you're you know <laughs> welding pipe you know you want to be able to be able to leave that behind when you go home at night to some degree just for your own sanity yeah i mean you take an oath it's an important role sure, don't get me sure. Wrong. i'm committed sure 24 7 to being to upstand, upholding that standard, and we all are, that the community expects of us. But there also is space to just step away from the work, and, and it, it, there, it's extremely it, – we, we, we take this job voluntarily. It's stressful. It's traumatic. Those things are cumulative over time. Mm-hmm. They can manifest themselves in things that are not always healthy. And so I think in this job in particular, like some other jobs, you know, emergency room doctors and different, sure. different, different positions that see the things and deal with the things that we do, you have to have that space to decompress to stay healthy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're talking with uh, Chief of the Springfield Police Department, Andrew Shear. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a second. I'm Barbara Dellenbach, host of KLCC's Oregon Grapevine. Nancy Hughes saw the dangers of open fire cooking in Latin America and started Stove Team International to alleviate the problem. They live in a house filled with smoke. The women cook over open fires all day long. They never go outside. It's horrible. Nancy talks about stoves, learning about cultures other than her own, and changing lives on the newest Oregon Grapevine at klcc.org. And we're back talking with Chief Andrew, Andrew Shearer from the uh, Springfield Police Department. So um, 
you have been the chief of police for Springfield since March of, of 2022. Is that correct? But you were interim for almost a year in advance before they, before they an- announced you. So, so, um, and then you, you were at Portland, you were in Portland for a while and you retired and that didn't work out so well and you decided to come back. So actually, let's start with that. What made you come back from retirement? You had, you had done, you know, you'd, a lot of different things. Looking at your resume, you've done so much. Why did you decide to to, to unretire and, and not play golf? <laughs> well, I think my plan all along had been to complete a career at, at the, the city where I worked. It was okay. an amazing place. It yeah. provided me with more opportunities than I deserved. It was an outstanding experience in every way. But about the time when I left, my plan was I wanted to, to contribute more. Okay. I wanted to lead at a higher level. Okay. Um, and so when this opportunity came along at Springfield, I felt it was a great fit, and I just I jumped at it. Great, great. Maybe for, for, you know, I think you have a job that's one of those jobs that many people, you know, in the public think they know what it entails, but maybe not. So maybe take us through a little bit of kind of a day in the life of a chief of police for a mid-sized city. What's it like? What's the job like? What do you do? That's a great. I love that. <laughs> uh, about a thousand different things. Sure. I think at, at, the, at the highest level, um, the chief needs to provide that strategic direction for the organization. Um, and that's going to involve interacting with folks at the line level that are doing the work. Mm-hmm. That's going to involve dealing with elected officials. It's going to sure. involve dealing with the community at large. It's going to deal with dealing with your command staff and giving them clear direction about where we need the department to go and all that goes along with that policy, procedures, training, accountability. So it's a it's a. It's hard to describe in about a 30-second sound. There's a lot going on. Right? <laughs> well, okay. So, so you, you, you get to the office. I imagine, you know, like, like other leaders, there are lots and lots of meetings, but you've got this sort of chain of command of your captains and whoever, how, 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 however else it's structured. And then you've got the front line. You know, how much do you interact with the rank-and-file officers on a daily basis? And what does that look like? Well, what I really enjoy about Springfield is my ability to do that. I mm-hmm. think at a level even more so than I could for where I came from. I mean, it's a relatively small agency. You know everybody's first name. Okay. You know their kids and yeah. their spouses and what's going on in their lives. Yeah. I have the opportunity to go to roll calls uh, several times a day if I can make it in yeah. there. I pass people in the hallway, the parking lot all the time, have chats with them. So I, I feel like I have a pretty good uh, finger on the pulse of what the line level folks are feeling and what their challenges are and what they're excited about. And, and I'm, I'm curious, as you're having those conversations, and, and, and I imagine some of them you look at and say, oh, that was me, you know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, stuff like that. Um, what do you think, that's the other challenge of your profession is, is that there's no shortages of opinions about policing and cops and so on and so forth. You know, and I imagine it, it probably is part of your job to kind of continually take the pulse of your frontline staff about morale and not just in the department, but just as we talked about earlier, being that ambassador for law enforcement, you know, kind of take us through that. And you have a lot of opportunities to kind of, Hey, how's it going? But also how are you feeling about the job? Yeah, that's the, that, that's just like the community is influenced by things that happen around the country. Sure. And sure. around the world. Sure. So is the membership at the Springfield police department. Yeah. No. They see something that happens somewhere in New York or Florida or somewhere else. And that can impact morale and how they're feeling about the job that they're doing today. And so it's constantly ebbing and flowing and there's good days and there's challenging days. And I think 
having that constant ongoing interaction with folks allows you to kind of help maintain a balance and sometimes refocus on why we're here. Sure, sure. Yeah, I imagine too, and, and, and for, for many people outside of law enforcement, this may feel a, a little, you know, kind of, um, uh, it's something they may not know about, but I imagine a lot of your job as, as, as police chief is interacting with a just a huge ecosystem of other law enforcement agencies. I imagine that might you know, kind of kind of almost like air traffic control. And, and I'll, I'll bring up an example of, you know, we had the, the, the big tra- world track championships. And I, I know that that was in Eugene, but I imagine as a as a, as an answer, as an adjacent city, so much of that had to deal with what, a, a, you know, FBI, a, you know, ATF, uh, Homeland Security. I mean, so what's it like to have to, you know, effectively work with and lead with a an alphabet soup of law enforcement. That's one of the things I really enjoy. I think an agency the size of Springfield, or frankly, most of the agencies in this region, we cannot do our job without strong partnerships and great working relationships with all these other agencies. Sure. The U of O police, Eugene, the sheriff's office, district attorney's office, our federal partners, the DEA, FBI. We have a very strong working relationship with all of them. And then that, that spider webs out throughout the state too, because yeah. the reality is we are always bouncing things off of each other, um, working through the latest legislative changes. We need help with a case. We have some big complicated prosecution coming up. So it is, it is absolutely an interdependent um, network of law enforcement professionals that we have to rely on to get the work done. Sure. Well, and you just mentioned something about legislature. I mean, obviously, what, what, what is interesting, and maybe, you know, obviously business people understand this, at least anecdotally, but boy, you know, because of state, local, even federal laws, you're, the way in which a, a city police force operates probably changes from year to year because of different laws. How, how is that like to sort of stay abreast of those changes and then also be able to sort of permeate down the, the, you know, the chain of command so that everybody understands, well, this is new this year. There have been a lot of changes the last couple of years, but the reality is there always have been changes. Okay. There's always been court decisions. There's always been new laws. I mean, I imagine back in that, I don't remember what year it is in the seventies when cops were told, you know, you have to read your Miranda rights to somebody. They probably threw their hands up. What are you talking about? That's ridiculous. You know, and so changes have always sure. occurred and we've always adapted and we've always, um, always strive to implement them as quickly and as effectively as possible because we're required to. Sure. So change is not really something that is new to us. I think it's something we've always dealt with. Sure. Although something that probably wasn't new to you or something that you hadn't dealt before and you had to deal in the interim basis as, as police chief is, oh, yeah, we have this, you know, worldwide pandemic and you you have, you know, what is the very definition of frontline responders and how was it like, you know, managing through that or helping the, the force manage through that to both keep your workforce safe, but also uh, you know, have have a, a workforce that is obviously dealing with the public, you know, 24 hours a day. Right. And, and first responders, I mean, we didn't have the option of just going remote for a year. To, sure. Yeah, exactly. You can. So our, our work <laughs> continues 24-7. You didn't get to arrest someone on Zoom? <laughs> no. We, we wear masks and gloves and sure, all the required sure, sure, sure. safety protocols to try to minimize any risk to our people. But we sh- kept showing up every yeah. single day. Yeah. And you could argue sometimes exposed ourselves to maybe more risk than other folks had to because of the nature of the work. And that's just, that's just how it is. But managing through that, you know, because there's a lot. I mean, there's. 
there's a lot of different points of view on the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, I think some of it, unfortunately, became politicized and it sure. just creates, you know, cops are human and there's different sure. points of view and trying to manage an organization through that because we have to deliver a service sure. every minute of every day, regardless of what your views are. And so it kind of brings it back to bring everything back to center as to why we're here. Sure. And then again, it gets back to sort of the management of the forces and that you have two distinct sort of, you have sworn officers, but then you have a lot of administrative functionality that also are part of your force. Was it a challenge for those? that didn't have to go out on the streets, the cops, but you had a lot of admin staff. Was that a challenge to kind of manage? Well, some of them could work from home or remotely. Kind of what was that like? Yeah, there, there are there are select positions that can spend, spend some time out of the office to kind of minimize the risk. But the reality is a lot of them can't. Yeah. I mean, there is evidence that has to be processed. Those reports have to be processed. There's just so much work that goes on 24-7 in sure. person that we largely... Like I said, we largely, we came to work every single day and yep. work continued as it always has because we didn't really have an alternative. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, we're going to take our next break. We're talking with the uh, chief of the Springfield Police Department, Andrew Shearer. We'll be back in just a second. The car that I donated actually was my parents' car. It needed some work to be done on it, and it got to the point that the cost of the repairs was going to be greater than the car was even worth. So I decided to check with my dad to see if he agreed that maybe we should just donate it. Yeah, he was uh, pleasantly surprised to see that he got a tax write-off, and uh, he was happy that we supported public radio. Learn more about supporting KLCC by way of a vehicle donation at our website, klcc.org. And we're back talking with uh, Chief Andrew Shearer, the chief of the Springfield Police Department. So, so let's let's talk about sort of the the career of of a police officer, and and maybe you know the first question is sort of obviously a big part of your job is to is to ma- is, is is to maintain your workforce, and obviously have a have a um, you know a fully staffed uh, uh, functional police force. So that obviously a lot of that comes down to recruitment and looking for new officers, like you were thirty. 40 years ago, whatever it was. I don't want to age you necessarily, but what are you looking for? What are your, what do your command staff look for when you're trying to recruit for new police officers for Springfield PD? So the most critical thing we can do for this agency and for the city is to fight to find the right talent okay. at this organization. So I think it is a much more complicated job than it used to be. Okay. I think it's a much harder job than it used to be. And what I'm looking for are people that have the combination of um, ability to investigate crime, like in the traditional fashion. Sure. They have good people skills. They can interview folks. They can get things done that way. But also the ability to innovate, to think in a different way, probably, than cops did 30 years ago. There's new kinds of crime emerging. I need people that can step right into the new types of technology and leverage those to the best of our ability to to help uh, Springfield remain a safe community. So it's, it's a combination of traditional police ability and interpersonal communication skills. But it's somebody that has the ability to innovate, think outside the box, um, and, and see the bigger picture and be excited about some of the new things that are coming down the road. So, so let me let me ask you this in terms of because it's interesting you talked about that, and certainly I think that's part of of of, of kind of the layperson's understanding of policing is is that you mentioned the word technology. You know, some of us old enough to think about that back in the day when it was a walkie-talkie, you know, your tool, your, 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 your utility belt and stuff. But now, I mean, obviously, and you talked about it, I mean, crime has changed. It's not just necessarily somebody, you know, knocking over a liquor store. It's, it's all sorts of cyber crime and whatnot. You know, talk 
a little bit about in, in, in sort of what you've seen in your career, how technology has changed the job or the skills necessary for officers to understand technology to be better at their job? Te- technology, I think, is, frankly, at the core of police work today, along okay. with the right people. Technology is at the core. I mean, now any crime that occurs, I don't care if it's a hit and run a theft of a candy bar from a grocery store. Sure. There's a technology-related piece. Yeah. There's cameras that probably got that. There's cell phones that might have text messages or geolocation information. I mean, the technology um, that allows us to help solve crime has just exploded. Sure, The technology sure. that we leverage inside the police department, whether it's the databases we write our police reports on, whether it's our accountability software for internal affairs complaints and uses of force, body cameras, um, it, it, it has permeated every part of this this profession, and I think that's a good thing. We just need to find strike the right balance because you can't over rely on the technology, and you can't over rely just on old school police work. But we have to find that right balance of both to be effective. So, so uh, when when when. I hope I used the right terminology. When cadets graduate from the from the academy, uh, give me a balance here in terms of how many how many officers now are coming in with college degrees, or maybe they have they've had uh, a real professional experience completely out of law enforcement that translates well into becoming a police officer. Yeah, I think, and I'm speaking anecdotally because sure. of the numbers in front sure, of me. Sure, but sure. My perception is based on being involved in hiring people for a lot of years. Yeah. Is it is changing? Okay. They're hiring far, far less twenty-one, twenty-two, two, twenty-three year olds right out of college or right out of the military. Well, we still hire some of those folks, sure. and that's a good thing. Sure, we hire a lot more people that are doing career changes mid-career, people in their thirties that have done something entirely different and unrelated to law enforcement. Whether it's because they've just decided they that didn't have enough meaning for them. Maybe through layoffs or kind of realigning sure, sure. of different jobs around the country, um, people are seeking this out. But it's, I think it's a good thing because we, I want people to come here that have a lens and a perspective that is not that of a police officer. So they can look at things and like, why do we do that? Or so many of the rest of us might have just looked around and said, like, this is the way we've always done it. Yeah, I need people yeah. to step in and have a totally different lens on how they, they look at the work because that's where the good ideas and the innovation comes from. Sure, sure. That, that makes sense. Um, you know, one of the things in looking at your background, you know, obviously, you're, you're pre- and one of the things I think when, when it was announced that you joined, you talked about kind of bringing more transparency, transparency to the profession. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because obviously, I think that that's something maybe on people's mind is 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 how how are how is policing becoming more uh open not open maybe that's the wrong word maybe it's just just more understanding and 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 maybe you know ramping up the the kind of the trust factor between the public that is policed and the forces that that do the policing i don't think anybody can argue that in over the recent years a lot more things have come to light about the profession. And again, it goes back to that technology. Sure. The speed of social media, sure. cameras, videos, things that people see all over the place. Um, for the most part, a lot of it doesn't look good. Sure. And it attracts a lot of people's attention and has put, a, had to put the spotlight on law enforcement for the yeah. last few years. Um, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. That is what makes us evolve. Yeah. And so our ability to address that in ways by being more transparent, because a lot of, I think in years past, most cops out of sight, out of mind. I call sure. them. I need them. I don't know what they do. I don't sure. care how they do it. I just want to have a safe community. Sure. I think we operated that, that way for decades. Sure. And now people are seeing a little more, or actually a lot more, about what 
potentially goes on behind the scenes and they have more interest and they want greater accountability. And so sure. we, we accomplish that through transparency, through including community in our processes. Here's what we do. Here's how we do it, whether it's a Citizens Academy, whether it's a Citizens Academy, whether it's a community group that reviews our policies, um, whether it's us sharing regularly at city council about the work that we're doing and the mm-hmm. numbers related to force and, and cases and, and population and everything else. I think it, that is what the community expects and they rightfully we, we rightfully should supply them with that. Sure, sure. I'm also thinking, too, it seems like there's there's a narrative right now, and maybe it's a narrative that sort of ebbs and flows in our, in our, in our kind of our, 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 in the United States, in our, in our discourse is, boy, big cities are really dangerous now. And, and I think that it's, 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 you know, the old, the old line about there are, there are lies, damn lies and statistics. And certainly, you know, you could look at almost anything and say, oh, well, actually, violent crime is, 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 while it may be up over the last few years, it's really down from the heyday of maybe the 80s or something like that. Do you feel like maybe, and I think you're uniquely positioned because a city you used to spend a lot of time in and work in, Portland, has almost become this sort of, I don't know what to say, maybe it's a, you know, kind of this, this, this poster child for the dangerous city. And do you feel like maybe there's, there's so much more nuance there that gets lost? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Okay, and it, we're, we try to be very conscious about that because think about it: if we have a, you know, you pick the crime, we have a robbery, mm-hmm. and we do a press release on that robbery. Mm-hmm. Well, what is the impact of us sharing that press release? Now, do everybody that reads the news today think, "Oh my God, Springfield's exactly violent, filled with violence and crime-ridden"? Sure. You know, that's not the case. No, there was a robbery. We arrested the suspect. Yeah. We're just sharing the information. So it's a constant balance of, I think, people have. There is the reality of what the crime numbers are in a city, and then there's the people's perception of what's happening in that city. They can be totally diametrically opposed. Yeah. And that's something that we try to be very conscious of. How much, and and, and we're kind of getting towards the end of this interview, and I'm thinking, you know, a couple of questions. What's the role of someone like yourself in in the chief of police, but also just in cities in general and other, other, you know, uh, police What's the what's the, what's the role and the potential impact of? We talked about this word earlier, ambassadors. How much how much uh, is it important? Obviously, your main job is law enforcement, but how much of it is is to kind of combat some of those perceptions that you see, whether it's popular media or social media or just water cooler talk? Right, and then the, that's a great point. I, I want people to. True, I want it to be accurate, but I want true people to truly feel and believe that Springfield is a safe city. It's a place where you can move to and raise your family. It's a place you can move to to start a business. It's a place you can come visit and recreate. This is a great place, and I think police chiefs are definitely part of the economic driver of a community because yeah. we, have a, we have a very important job to do in creating a safe environment so all those things can occur. So I think we play an integral role in in the growth of, of our communities. So, so as we close, let me ask you, you know, you, you've obviously failed at retirement once before, but eventually you will <laughs> retire again and, and kind of not so much just a legacy question, but just, just in terms of, you know, whether it's a couple of years from now or five years from now, what would you like to see, um, the department either evolve into or 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 just do an even better job of you know kind of are there a couple things that you or maybe they're your goals for what you want to accomplish for the next you know timeline what might those be that's a great point well first of all uh i'm going to be here a while i'm not planning on leaving anytime soon all right but second of all um (laughs) 
I want this agency, of course, to be better than it was when I got here. Every every leader of every organization is going to say the same thing. Yeah. But what I truly want is for the Springfield Police Department to be a model law enforcement agency, not just in the state, but around the country, in terms of the level of community support we have, how we earned that support through our transparency, our professionalism, our effectiveness in maintaining a safe community. And I think if we can create an organization that has all those pillars standing strong, that other agencies can model that, and then it will just eventually have a ripple effect around the profession that'll in, that'll positively impact everybody. Great. Actually, I lied. One last question: okay, How much? How much do you do being a chief of police? How much are you able to share or learn about best practices from other police chiefs all over the country? And how important is that? How much are you able to share? You know, kind of what you're doing and what works and what doesn't. Yeah, it, there's a number of organizations. I mean, at the at the local level, the Oregon Association of Chiefs of Police, we meet regularly. Mm-hmm. We're always bouncing ideas off each other. Um, the International Association of Chiefs of Police. Which is the conference is actually next week uh, where we're going to be able to interact with police chiefs from all around the country and flank all around the world and other organizations like that. So we're members of a variety of different groups. So we we can clearly stay up to speed on best practices in law enforcement around the country. And more importantly, we have that strong network of peers to learn from their learn from each other's mistakes and successes. Great, great. Well, thanks so much for coming in. I, I've learned a lot just about the profession, but also kind of where it's going. This has been very enlightening. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Great. So that was our conversation with Springfield Police Chief Andrew Shearer. While relatively new to Springfield, Shearer is bringing decades of experience to the role of and working with his team in the city to continue to evolve policing in our community. This has been the Oregon Rainmakers podcast on KLCC. I'm your host, Michael Dunn. Thanks for listening.